Hello and welcome to another edition of the official Chatter Toys podcast with myself, Fox from Grapple Arcade. And I'm joined once again by uh, it's Pablo. Hi. Hello. Anyway, how are you doing? I'm all right. Um, yeah, it's been a, been a good week. Um, been actually, a good watching. I've <laughs> <laughs> been a good boy. Been watching more new wrestling than I have in a little while. Moving on swiftly, we're here to talk about uh, the recent amazing news that is, Chella Toys have signed <laughs> Big Stevie Cool, Stephen Richards. We've had him on the show, haven't we? Well, I was going to say, if you're surprised by what you've just said, you've not looked at the title of the show. <laughs> I'm surprised. Why are we here? <laughs> um, yeah, no, what an amazing signing. Um, I don't want to say it was probably always going to be likely after a Blue Meanie figure, but I think it was always going to be more likely. likely. <laughs> you know, it was going to be likely. Um, and it, it's great. Uh, it's We've talk, we'll talk about the figure on the interview and I love the action that he has for the, you know, the fist for the, you know, big Stevie Cool, Kevin Nash, we're taking over. Um, you know, a lot of efforts went into it and we talk about it compared to previous figures and especially his previous BWO ECW figure that Jack's made where they just reuse a lot of the same parts. This, as is, you know, as should be the case for a lot of these uh you know, retro figures and Chella have definitely stepped up to the up to the plate with this. It's all new molded parts specifically to capture room and it it does it incredibly well. It's wonderful. I really, really like it. I like the style of it. I like the um the general stance. I like the the proportion size. It all yeah. makes a lot of sense with who the figure is. Um I love the general mold. Um the coloration's spot on as well. It just it all it all makes sense. It's what you want from a from a Stevie Richards figure in this style. It ticks all the boxes for me. Um, and one th- one thing I love about the interview as well is, again, like uh, like Brian Clark, Stevie is someone who knows his history very well, but knows his merchandise, knows his ring gears. So you can bring up like a a match on, you know, some obscure B show or something like that, and he'll tell you what he wore. Uh, and you know he he talks about the a bit of the process of how he got his jacks figures made as well which was always fascinating and uh yeah he's well into the fact that there is a figure of him it's something that he doesn't take for granted like it blows his mind that people still talk bwo after all this time oh totally just i mean it's I think it's no surprise when people see this, they'll be asking the questions, well, we've had a meanie, we've had um, a Stevie Cool now, does that mean we're going to be getting BWO set? And I think it's fair to say that, as you can see, whilst the obvious answer is there's a BWO set, mm-hmm. it's going to be in individual figures. So much like the, the, the first meanie figure that came out, I think it's fair to assume that, oh, we'll we'll be getting a different variation of the Meanie than if that's the case. And I think going forward, we'll be, I think we're going to be really, really uh, like interested and very happy with what's to come from Chella with this, with this line. But this particular figure is what we're here to talk about today. Um, In terms of the interview with Stevie Richards, Pablo, Mm -hmm. do you think Stevie, um, 
is the kind of person, what's the best way to ask this? Do you think Steve is the kind of person who is fairly sort of, not new to the interview game, but maybe, um, you know, he hasn't been out there very much, so to speak. So did you feel that speaking to him on this interview, you were finding a lot of really interesting information that maybe hasn't been kind of like discussed with a lot of other interviews before? Do you think there's a few interesting things that people should be tuning in for specifically on this? Any standout moments for you from this interview to for people to, to check out when they get to that point of the interview? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the I, I don't want to give really anything away, but because there were certain pieces of merchandise that I collected uh, throughout his like WWF run, his early run in particular, I was asking him questions that he hadn't really been asked before about things that he was involved in. Uh, you know, we talk about Stevie Richards. That's the thing. I wasn't, even though, you know, Stevie does have his own podcast and uh, is out there on YouTube with his uh, Stevie Richards fitness uh, videos and um, uh, what would you call it? Like workout equipment reviews and all that kind of thing. I wasn't sure what to expect. And yeah. he's he's so humble and calm and nice. And I think it's just, he talks about it as well that, you know, He's he's kind of always been like this to a point, but his main mission in life is to help other people. And it sounds like one of those art oh, wrestlers saying that, you know, how seriously do you take it? But he really goes in depth because you look at what's happened to him throughout his life with, with his injuries and stuff and how important physical health is to him. And, you know, you you not to be a shill for Stevie Richards Fitness, but you look at the website and you look at how little he is charging for this and how much he will keep in touch with you throughout the entire course that you're on. And he will make it, you know, designed to your uh, ability or your age or whatever. And he's just, he's so giving with his time and with his energy. And he's so generous with his answers as well. Like nothing was off the table with Stevie. I didn't, we, we covered, he's got such, when you think about it, his career has been going for so long now. 92, um, wasn't it, when he debuted? Oh yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And you think about, when you start digging deep about some of the people that he's worked with, and, you know, even outside of WWF, outside of TNA, um, even outside of ECW, like you couldn't fit it in to a full 90 minutes, but he's so multifaceted that we started talking about video games, we started talking about toys, um, and hopefully going a bit, you know, left field with some of the subjects that he hasn't really either ever talked about before on air or very rarely has. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed the interview. Excellent and stuff. Th the thing is as well, it being a... Um, I don't. I don't want to say like a motivator. Like a. I don't know what a fitness guru. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, he was interested in me as well, and I f it's so genuine. It like comes across, and he asked me questions, and like I didn't want to bang on too much about my stuff. Uh, but he was so even said, "Oh no, we'll not edit it out. It's all good." And I'm just like, well. <laughs> we'll see what the numbers, you know, we'll see when people drop out of the interview. <laughs> well, what we'll do is we'll put the, um, we'll put the, um, the link to his fitness, um, yeah. sites and everything. You can all read that now, everybody. If you want, once you finished listening to this interview, check out, uh, the description in our, um, on our site on underneath the, uh, the podcast here 
and you'll be able to find out links to his uh, fitness sites and be able to, if you want to find out a bit more about that and how to get fit with Stevie Richards, I mean, who thought you'd be saying that in 2021? I want to get it's fit crazy. with Stevie Richards. Um, VW War for Life. So, yeah, can I'm just, really looking forward. I, yeah, go on. Can I just say one thing as well? Um, I was watching, because I, I have the program now, and which is insane for me, because I'm the most out-of-shape person in the world. Not for and, long. Well, not for long. And... Um, I was watching one of the videos of someone who does another uh, fitness uh, regime, uh, the Joe Wicks one. And he was saying that the Stevie Richards one's so much more insightful and he tells you why you should do things or why you shouldn't do things or why he does things or why he shouldn't do things. So you really get like an extra layer from Stevie and you really feel like he's talking to you. He's not just talking to like a mass audience sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get involved and to be honest, it's all for all ability levels as well. Cause I ain't going to be, you know, doing a marathon anytime soon. Um, but Speaking yeah, it's a great North run today as well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, I don't want to sound like a shill for Steve Rich's fitness, but it was just, I was fascinated by it. And it just seems like the thing for me. And, um, but that's only a small part of what we talk about. We go all over the page with different topics. Brilliant stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I'm looking forward to taking part in some Stevie Richards fitness activities as well. Can't wait. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you want to know more about where you can do the pre-ordering of the Stevie Richards Cello Toys action figure, head over to cellotoys.net, uh, at cellotoys on Instagram and Twitter, and we'll be obviously updating as well on our Twitter page, at Grapple Arcade, and our Instagram page, at Turnchuckle. Now, Without further ado, we'll just crack on with the show. I can't wait. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in yet again. And we'll catch up with you on the other side. Speak soon. Yeah, the Grapple Arcade. Hands off the merchandise. Dig it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, retro-style wrestling action figures from Jellatoys.net. Bring the legends, the present, and the future Back to the classics. Chalatoys.net. Hello, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate uh, we have a time zone difference, but for me, this is technically almost afternoon too, because my workouts, uh, as we were talking about off air, uh, start pretty early. So I appreciate you taking the time to to do the show right now at around 838 uh, a.m. Eastern time. You are an absolute gentleman because uh, some people don't like to do them until about three o'clock in the morning, my time. So I'm usually mm. just completely gone uh, by this point. So I, I, this is probably the earliest I've ever done one of these podcasts. So I do very much, very much appreciate it. So you are definitely a morning person then, as, uh, as we mentioned. I, I absolutely am. I work out uh, each and every morning. And it's not even like a thing of like, I got to get up early in the morning and it's just a... a some kind of struggle or, or rite of passage. I, I enjoy getting up early in the morning, working out. I feel like I can move at a certain pace and set myself up for the day and be, you know, the best I can be for stuff like this, you know, that- instead of w- waking up and saying, Oh, how long we we're talking about, well, you're going to talk about your fitness journey, Pablo, but you know, the whole day, if you're working out later on in the day, what are you thinking about? How long is this going to take? I got to get workout in. Am I going to be able to get it in? And it just adds a whole new stress to your day. So when you were on the road full time, is that how you structured your day even then? 
Yeah, and that didn't really align too well with <laughs> doing shows and staying at Raw and SmackDown past 10, 11 p.m. and then driving sometimes out of one town to another in order to catch an early flight. I always worked out very early in the morning, no matter what. Sometimes, I mean, if we would get in at like 2 to 3 a.m., especially on day one of a tour where you're flying, you're starting your day early in the morning and then two flights, driving to a town, doing a house show, waiting till the end, then driving maybe 300 miles to, you know, the next town and then checking into a hotel. I'm not going to get up at four or 5 a.m., but I am probably not going to get up any later than eight or nine. My body clock cannot work on, I'm not an afternoon type sleep in type person. I never have been. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Stevie Richards, fitness.com, which we will talk about a lot. You know, you talk about that you love to help people. So was Without mentioning names, were there people on the road that were just like, oh, Stevie, what are you doing? <laughs> I want to sleep. Um, and you're like trying to give them the kick up the backside to get into the gym. Well, no, they, I mean, in WWE, especially, you didn't have to give anybody a kick in the ass to to work out. It was part of their money, part of their career. True. I, I think people would make fun of it, but then be fascinated because there were times where I would see people at the gym Number one, probably just to be curious to see if I was just lying, you know, is this guy really <laughs> showing up or they would come to the, the way people knew it would be, they would go there, say 10 AM to or nine to 11 AM, because you have to be at the building at sometimes noon, one o'clock for TV. And they're like, yeah, there's uh, this guy, Stevie was in here early this morning. And they, they would just, it would become like a novelty. Say, hey, the guy at the, the, the desk says hello or whatever, and it would be a friendly little thing that, and you know, it's kind of a cool thing when you have guys that are, were professional athletes and still technically professional athletes or guys that are like, you know, true bodybuilders. I don't look like a true bodybuilder or look like those people that are professionals and what they do. And they're complimenting you on like, wow, you really do like work out hard. That's cool. It's really nice to see that. And then when WWE years and years after I left are, are rating me as the top, one of the top 50 jacked superstars of all time. And, you know, just a little of, you know, shoot, shoot, bang, bang. I've never done steroids or growth hormone or anything like that. Um, I don't fault anybody or judge anybody that has, but to be able to make that list of the top 50 without any kind of help uh, chemically is is a pretty cool accomplishment. It really is. And, you know, you've always obviously been in really good shape, but it, it, like, I don't know if you'd be offended by this, but if there was like a list of 50, I would be thinking, you know, like Ted Arcidi, <laughs> you know, like. Mm -hmm. so, so would I. I mean, yeah. the, the, the eye of what is considered in shape or jacked in wrestling is larger than life. And I'm, I'm not that guy. Yeah. Although my action, my cello action figure looks like you know that's that's kind of what i'm striving for now <laughs> no i don't take offense to that because wrestling has a whole it's just like if you looked at let's say a yoga person or a person that does gymnastics the idea of being jacked or in shape is completely different than when you look at a football player or a wrestler a power lifter so no no i mean but that's what was the odd thing about that being in the top 50 was I wasn't really figured. I was never figured in politically either, even after I left. So like for somebody to think that of me in the list and it's purely subjective. So let's say you could throw anybody on that top 50, take me out and nobody would protest it. So I'm, you know, but I'm there. So that's going to live forever. And they used one of your late, uh, uh, 
in your know, in your WWE run pictures as well, they didn't use like ninety nine or two thousand. I mean, you couldn't use right to censor because you're wearing a suit. So <laughs> I wasn't in. No, I was making the top fifty fattest of right to censor. I was, <laughs> was going to ask about that. Yeah, was that an excuse to just? <laughs> You know what? I didn't really, I, it wasn't a mental thing of putting the shirt on. And then all of a sudden I gained, I was 262. So technically gained about 40 to 50 pounds. Wow. But it coincided with a lot of other mental things, making excuses where in your case two cardio machines become clothes racks and yeah. <laughs> things like that. I mean, you can, your mindset is very, very important or detrimental, beneficial or detrimental to anything you do in your life whether it be wrestling, whether it be working out, whether it be personal situations and, and caring for and loving your family. It's all about how your mindset is laid out with that. So, you know, I could say, I could say just as easily, you know, Oh, Chella toys is only making me one action figure and not two. I could look at anything. You know what I mean? I could be as negative or as positive as possible. And with bright the sensor, when I gained the weight, I was very negative, half class, empty type person, lazy, making excuses. And then one day I just got sick and tired of it and, and decided from that point on, there's a, like zero tolerance for anything. It's not just five pounds. It's not just 10. It's not even just one or two or anything like that. It's not one missed workout. There's no, there's no room for room for negotiation anymore. Hmm. Did the right to sense a thing drain you emotionally because you have to be so negative all the time was that something that it was hard to not hard to separate from but it just it created a mindset i guess no because i i i really did truly believe that some of the stuff that was on tv didn't need to be done okay didn't need to be done uh with the the crash tv type stuff with you know mostly thinking as one of the talents like how can we physically keep this pace up of this violence and that's part of the reason the right to censor was created, not only because parent television council and the ads, you know, the advertisers and all the stuff that was going on, because it was strictly a parody of that. But also, how are we going to dial this back? Because the, Vince and the company saw that these guys are just we're not going to have these guys if we keep going in this direction. So it pulled back the violence factor to where we could work again. Yeah. D did you feel that because you were there all the way through the attitude era all the way through to like 2008. And there's so many changes that took place in WWE at that point. Did you feel personally that it was hard to get the crowd into what you're doing when, you know, the, the whole company's like hotshotted for a couple of years and you've seen everything. And then you go back to actual wrestling matches and people kind of forget that. Oh, wait, this is what this is what this is. This isn't just angles. This actual competitive wrestling match. It it felt like as a fan in some ways that once, especially at that age, once you've had everything thrown at you, you kind of like burned out for a little bit. Once there's a hell in the cell where they don't get to the top, you know, you feel disappointed by it or something like that. And it took a little while for me. I mean, did you did you sense that or? Well, what I did what I did sense was after WCW got bought. Uh, that competition was dead and competition was what was making WWE at least push the envelope to some way, maybe, maybe too much, like you said. And then we had to peel that back, but creatively, we also didn't feel, I, I don't feel like they were competing with anybody. So you're the only game in town. And I think from that point on creatively, it's, it's gone downhill steadily. Uh, the only thing I would say that they probably tried to do 
positively. Now, maybe you growing up, you watched the, the McFoley fall off the hell in a cell. And then when somebody doesn't do it, you feel like it got peeled back. But what they're doing also is maybe you'll trail off and start watching Monday Night Football and other things. But the kids that you have and other people have, yeah, we need to we need them to become fans and have them for it's a cycle. We need to have them for 20 years, hopefully 30. Then their kids will be picking up. I mean, it's that's the cycle of wrestling ratings, I, I would I would believe. It became sort of, for me, generally, um, sorry, we will talk about your career. <laughs> you know, we're just. That's uh, okay. Because my career, my career spanned throughout all these different changes in different eras. I've been very, very blessed with that. So uh, yeah, we have to kind of encapsulate the trends before we plug my career into it. That is true. Well, that's the thing around, it seemed around 2006, a, a lot of sort of what could be classed as actually era storylines or that style was being brought back into WWF television. And I think for me, it was the fact that I was older at that point that it made me think that if I was my age watching it in 98 and 99 with some of the, you know, Terry falling off the apron, having the miscarriage, not the Austin and Vince and not all of the, you know, really good fun stuff, but like the sort of really, you know, distasteful storylines. I kind of would just roll my eyes at it now and kind of, Turn off. I mean, even back then, I didn't understand what was going on, you know, mm. uh, with some of that stuff. Um, or when Mark Henry got chained and whipped by PMS and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, seemed kind of fun slash confusing slash eye opening. <laughs> yeah, there's um, the 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 thing with that. But aren't we seeing a ton of distasteful stuff in the world today on media and mainstream media and everything that we're we're looking at? Yeah, the world is kind of turned that way. I mean. I would rather, you know, and some of the stuff's going to be a miss. Some of it's going to be a huge miss, but wouldn't you rather in a way with what they're doing today or not doing Wouldn't you rather them at least try? Cause I think the attempts and I, the, the, the good, honest attempts to try to see how we can take what's really happened in the world and put it into a wrestling show in a fictional fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what made the attitude error successful. The, the thing of, doesn't everybody to some extent hate their boss when you like to beat your boss up? So they played on the most raw emotion of anybody who feels like in the workplace that they, they were uh, under under underappreciated or, or or treated like shit by their boss. That was what Austin McMahon was. And then you and interject other types of reality based stuff. Some of it's going to be, Oh my God. And some of it's going to be, wow. But wouldn't you say like, today like all right in the world we live in if if an employee beat a boss up somebody would probably sue wwe because the boss got beat (laughs) up from watching rather than the kids doing it the adults would sue because my my boss got beat up so now he's the company is suing wwe like the ridiculous world we live in yeah they're the they're handcuffed in my opinion to not even be allowed to try anything and that's why we have the crappy product we have today Oh, God. And, and I mean, the, there's sponsors and advertisers and the fact that it went public. And I, I guess there are some, like you say, a lot of restrictions that we don't even think about. Uh, but we've... I don't even think the advertisers count anymore. I think TV licensing, Fox and USA give them over the course of the, the four or five year deals. They're both, I think, worth a billion each. 
I know the Fox deal is a billion over four or five years, right? Yeah. USA has got to be right up there with it. So, and then you do have advertisers. Advertisers, I think the advertising money is used to buy Vince's jets and his condos in Boca Raton. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's you. That's like, that's like uh, Chad Johnson who bought his cars for his endorsement money. It's not a, it's not even factored in. You know what though? The fact that they have more money than they know what to do with means that the fact that there is a goon action figure coming out next year, I'm like, look, mm. it, that will only appeal to me. I don't care, <laughs> you know. The, you know, if if it means that they can do stuff like that, then that's brilliant. So yeah, that's my very smooth segue into talking about action figures. By the way, uh, the uh, Stevie Richards BWO uh, Big Stevie Cool action figure with Chella. I'm very very excited about this because it's actually not the first Big Stevie Cool action figure. Jack's made one a good long time ago. Do you remember that figure? Yeah, that was a Stevie Richards ECW action figure that had the stop sign, I think. And it wasn't officially a Blue World Order or Big Stevie Cole, but I had the BWO outfit on. So it was kind of my buddy Pete from Jack Specific. I don't know if you know Pete Pete Sikoris. I I never pronounce his last name correctly. Pete was a great guy. He was always backstage there when we were on the West Coast, especially. And I, I became friendly with him just to talk to him. And I, I, I don't know why, but the P and I got along, talked. And then like one day, like I got the action figure and I thanked him for it. I thought I was like, dude, this is like a dream come true. This in video games is like, this is how I get immortalized in my, in my eyes. Yeah. And he was like, that's really cool. Maybe that, that kind of like spoke to him or I was the only one that thanked him or whatever. But then, then from that point on, he contacted me and he goes, Hey dude, if um, you ever get new gear, just take pictures of all four sides or whatever. And I was like, why? And he was like, don't worry about it. Next thing I know, I got like, I got like six action figures with Jax and, <laughs> and it's all because of Pete. And he was somebody I'm, I'm immensely grateful for being a good dude, but also doing what he didn't have to do to make that happen. So, yeah, I mean, the, he's the reason why like Chell is looking at that and saying, Oh, there's a BW. He's probably the reason it was the BWO person or the outfit but it wasn't big Stevie Cole. And, and, and the thing is with the, the Jax figures as well, it's been widely talked about is that they were working with a, a finite number of say torso choices or, you know, uh, boot choices and stuff like that. Whereas this cello uh, figure, which is coming out very soon is molded from head to toe, all unique parts. Um, and it captures you incredibly. Uh, and it's got the, you know, it's got the fist for, uh, big Stevie Cool. I was thinking about this this morning uh, that I've interviewed Meanie and I've interviewed Rick Bogner. So I'm probably the only person in the world that's interviewed two Razor Ramon uh, impersonators. I'll I'll hang my hat on that. I'll put that as the tagline for the show. Well, I'm going to give you a um, <laughs> I'm going to give you a little Easter egg on how I because I knew Rick in ECW very brief time. Did he ever tell the story of how he how he became Fake Razor? I know, um, he, well, he could do the impression, and I think Heyman... He did the impression in, in uh, Ag Hall in Allentown, Pennsylvania, with us, or <laughs> in some degree, he was on the same show, I think it's... I, I don't even know. You know, I take that back, because this was right before the BWO, but Meany started doing it after him, uh, so probably Rick, you, Rick, Rick is owed money by Meany, not me. Uh, <laughs> But that, yeah, he did come out and do the Razor impression on an ECW house show, which was kind of a TV, Ag Hall, Allentown, Pennsylvania. 
And I think he was diesel less than six months or not diesel. He was diesel was Glenn. Uh, he was razor six months after that. So probably Paul told Bruce because Paul was working with WWE and they were paying ECW. <laughs> hey, here's something for you. And, you know, they were working together. That's amazing. Did you ever see the uh, the Memphis show where fake Razor showed up and ditched the gimmick on air? Uh, I did. I do remember that now. I did. I, I, it's been a long time since I saw it. But yeah, I remember. And then he became, I think, Rick Titan. But he should have. I, I think it was a hell of a deal. I think it, it, people crapped on it or did whatever. But I, I think, it. you know, JR being the heel manager was kind of, you know, put him in a spot. But I the fake razor and fake diesel thing, and they could have did stuff with it. I think that they just they got so much blowback from it. They, they you know, were afraid WCW was going to make a parody of the parody, <laughs> which could have could have possibly happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> so speaking of that uh, of that time, uh, and and I have ECW questions from my co-host Mark as well. But BW sure. sh- showed up at uh, Manhattan Center for that Raw, so. BWO weren't advertised for that raw, I'm guessing. You you did just show up because there was the challenge thrown out by Lawler and uh Eliminators came in the ring and everything. But uh how how known was it beforehand that uh, the BWO were gonna be there? I think they told us on the house shows or TVs, whatever was right before that on a Friday, Saturday that we're going to to do that. I mean, things were pretty things were pretty secretive because ECW guys were very friendly with the internet media and very friendly with the people that ran the convention. So I think, uh, Paul, he might've told us on, on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday. I mean, we were ready to go for whatever he needed. It wasn't like we were saying like, I, I can't make it because I, I have to, you know, do whatever. Most of us were fine with it. And Sabu was actually, it might, it had to be like right after shows because Sabu would have flew back home. Or Sabu would have been in Japan. So he, him being there, I think he had, he would probably would have known uh, before the tour that weekend. Do you, do you feel that Vince really understood it, the invasion? Cause he seemed open to it, but I, do you think he really understood what was going on in your opinion? The gimmicks were the Island of Misfit Toys and maybe he didn't understand the gimmicks. And you got to think the guy runs a, a billion dollar company and he's running all this other stuff. That's back then before they added all the other things they have now. And how much time? I mean, I don't even really watch wrestling after I'm done podcasting two or three times a week. Yeah. So what if you had to run a business where you're working 100 hours a week? Do you really want to watch? Now, if he's interested in somebody, they might show him a tape of the match or he gets to actually see it as it's happening to say who would obviously he's looking and saying, who can I use? Hmm. Who can I use since I'm paying Paul every week? Maybe I can, because it was a town, it was the promise from what I understand now, what, 20 years later or whatever it is, that there was a talent exchange for money type scenario. Yeah. He'll pay every week, subsidize ECW. But if I need this guy, then uh, I can have him. The problem was Tommy did an interview, I think, and said that anytime that, oh, Vince Russo said this, actually, I'm sorry. Vince Russo told me he wanted so-and-so. And then Bruce would come back or Vince would, you know, say, Hey, Paul said they don't want to come here. And Bruce was like, what do you, what do you mean? They don't want to come to WWF. You know what I mean? (laughs) That was the answer. I was like, they don't want to come. And usually they would, he would not tell us or at, or at the same time he would tell us, but create such a scenario 
of like we're going there to like die you know yeah <laughs> so that um when you went later on in 99 now the, the thing is in the uk we did not get sunday night heat uh properly until 2000 uh so that initial period of stevie richards showing up because you were on some roars and uh you made the appearance on the pay-per-view dress as the acolyte and everything um but mm-hmm. it wasn't really explained how you wound up in wwf at that point um was it just a was it like a running thing because one of the early things you did was the the blonde bitch uh project thing yeah they and they, they cut that off because of the late the sable lawsuit and vince didn't get it vince yeah. said nobody's gonna vince said to vince russo i don't get it and this movie's gonna bomb <laughs> he was slightly wrong uh-huh. about that uh, i i was signed in june of 99 and actually i was i was done and with tv wrestling pretty much because i was go i went back after i had my neck surgery uh i had to relearn another skill which we talked about you know um off air a little bit you know how i'm trying to learn i'm always trying to learn about technology and stuff like that so i went to school to do computer networking and other things i was wrestling on the independence actually more than I ever had before or after that because three, four times a week of wrestling locally in the tri-state area right around Philadelphia was great from like Thursday to Sunday. And I had a full-time job at the community college in Philadelphia and I was ready to start my computer career. And I was ready to say, okay, I'm an independent wrestler. I'm making good money, but I'm also going to school and hopefully working with community college, which back then used to get free tuition if you worked for the college. So I thought I had a great bright future and then WWE went, come back here. We need you. And then <laughs> I, I, out of nowhere, Terry Taylor said, you know, we, we want to sign you. And I said, well, if I don't try it, I I'll never know. Yeah. And then that's how it started. I debuted, uh, August, uh, the same night Jericho debuted. I debuted on a heat with I mean, Meanie, and then, um, did an almost 10 year run from there. See, that's the thing. The network hasn't quite gotten up to August 99 yet uh, with the network. Um, I think they've oh, shown... Oh, Peacock. Peacock, Peacock screwed a lot of stuff. Oh, up, we're, right? we're lucky we don't get Peacock yet. Um, oh. I'm so glad. Oh, you're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, a... We're, we're, we're talking about... Uh, WWE has talked a little bit about a Sunday Night Heat type thing. Because the, the, the urban legend, which is 100% true is when I took over, I'm using air quotes, yeah. as GM of Stevie Night Heat, nobody knew about it for six to eight months. Nobody knew. And that's how little, you know, I, I turned something, and this is something that like everybody in life should kind of like try to do. I'm not always successful at it. I could have sat there because they, they really weren't doing anything with me. And by that point, it was just a matter of like, if this phone rang on a day off, I was like, Oh, here comes the call. You know what I mean? Like after the right to censor, I I was just like, they're not going to do anything with me. And I kind of had that feeling. So I'm going to make whatever they give me and make the most out of it. I did this, the, the Stevie Knight, the heat thing. And it was kind of at the same time as Victoria, because I was the only guy willing to do the reverse role and be subservient to the woman so it, it, it was a lot of different stuff I was willing to do, just like ECW. But long story short about Stevie Knight, he, I used to see guys always bitch and moan or sit there with a boo-boo face because they're not on the main show. Mm-hmm. They aren't, they're on heat, secondary show. It doesn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. 
I was like, well, I know I'm going to be on this show for a long time. So what can I do? I'm going to make myself the GM. I'm going to call it Stevie Knight Heat. And then I started to say it to Coach and Al Snow. And they started saying on commentary. They were the ones that got it over. Then we started to shoot vignettes. All the vignettes you saw with Stevie Knight Heat. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, there's a term in film, gorilla shot. You're shooting without anybody knowing it. Like the original, original Rocky movie was shot without permits or anything because they got in and got out. Is that yeah, true? They, wow. That's okay. true. They had, to, they had to get in and get out before anybody, maybe for the most, maybe sometimes, but for the most part, they would just shoot it and leave. Um, so what we did was that Coach and Al, who were basically the executive producers for Stevie Night Heat and Vignettes, <laughs> They would literally have ideas like the the thing with gold dust or the thing with dreamer or this idea, you know, all the pre-tapes you saw yeah. were literally thought up between all of us. And then the people in production were in on the, in on the deal. Like, and then, Hey, nobody knows about this. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way these vignettes or any of these things are ever going to make TV. And I'm walking around with Stevie Knight heat <laughs> on my tights and nobody's, nobody's watching the show it, you know and i'll just finish the story six eight months later i'm standing there and coach and al were remember they were going to be commentators on monday night raw and they were fighting lawler and jim ross and yeah well we were trying to keep them on heat because we didn't have money so we basically baked them pies but they were <laughs> store-bought they were store-bought pies uh-huh. and victoria ate some of the pie and i had <laughs> A chef hat on with an apron that said, kiss the GM. Stephanie walks in and she walks in with Johnny Ace and goes, when did Stevie become the GM of, of heat? He's like, I don't know, Stephanie, it wasn't up to me. I don't know, Stevie, (laughs) God damn it. What the fuck are you doing? And started like, and it was over after that. I couldn't yeah. I, I always read about the Stephanie not knowing about, there being a GM on heat and that's incredible. hundred percent true. Nobody knew about it. Good Lord. So the thing is with the Stevie in, we had heat from 2000 until the end of 2001. It was a, a deal on one of our basic TV channels, which was amazing because if you couldn't afford sky or subscription things, this was a lot of people's only access to uh, wrestling at the time. And WWF was hot. So it was great. And heat heat, had you know triple h would show up still and uh there would be main event names on there live heat before pay-per-views stuff like that yeah yeah so in in 2002 when that deal ended we just did not get heat anymore so we missed out on all those mr perfect matches and uh you know some a lot of names who weren't there that long and then by 2003 we got heat again so i was following the stevie knight heat thing all the way through so that was just you know because i didn't have access to be able to watch raw but it, obviously they had the raw highlights and everything but uh sunday night heat was definitely a highlight and they made the action figure uh you and victoria in a set with stevie night heat on the back of your trunks and 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 it makes sense now that you knew someone who worked in jacks because he gave you the biggest most ripped torso mm-hmm. like you got the brock lesnar torso basically <laughs> hey you know what? The politics worked in my favor for a change. I, I, I look at action figures and I say that can be a dangerous thing to try to look like your action figure. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I realized it was just, I just called it a little wrestling buddy because they were always too bulky for the, for the guys. Did you collect stuff back when you were, when you were younger? 
I did not. I collected uh, G.I. Joe and Cobra stuff. My friend and I used to, I would collect the Cobra stuff and he would collect the G.I. Joe and then we would play and do our, you know, little war stuff. I had the Weather Dominator, by the way. That was the most popular toy. Should have kept it. Nice. See, again, it's amazing what how little you get in this country compared to, oh, every time I go to America and it's just Walmart and Target are just rammed with stuff and I'm just like, oh, America has everything. It's almost too much though. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. If you're a kid, it's too much. Um, I'm like a laser guided missile straight to the, you know, uh, the brand new King Kong bunny. Imagine if you had a kid and you're in the US and you have to buy them this stuff all the time, <laughs> you know, if you're a parent. You never got an ECW San Francisco uh, figure. You're talking about the time the Anarchy Rules ones? The Anarchy or Rules, yeah, yeah. No, no, I wasn't with the company then. I was already a WCW and then, uh, you know, neck surgery and then WWE in 99. So their, their action figures were 97 to 2000, I think, right? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I always get the timeline slightly mixed up. Yeah, when you would, I was already BWO was already over with. If I had stayed another year, they probably would have done it. Or if they, it, you know, it takes about a year to make these things. Yeah. So it's based on gimmicks that are sometimes already done. Yeah, I think when you're right, the sensor figure came out. It was already, it was already over with because that was your first action figure. But it didn't matter back then. Because, you know, we were always on a lag with figures and we still are now. So we were just happy that that set, that Rulers of the Ring, those series were a lot of first time names like uh, Prince Albert and uh, Perry Satin and yourself. Uh, so was that that was, I'm guessing, a particularly big deal when your right center figure was made. And do you know, were there any plans for like a box set? Because they never made anyone else from the set. There's a hard, there's a hard thing. You're in the action figure business. So you understand the amount of resources and money it takes to make just one figure, then the cost associated with that, you know, what you have to charge doing a two set is kind of like what you've seen DX, I think. And then uh, I can't think of another one, maybe the horseman. No, not even that. Uh I've never seen more than two unless it was DX. So we were talking off air about the BWO that they, 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 we were trying to get Jax to make a, a BWO three pack because we yeah. figured they would be a mental. Oh, and NWO is probably the other one that had a three pack, if I can remember correctly, which is, you know, justified. People are going to buy that. But uh, the right to censor would be a minimum of a four pack, right? And if not five, counting Ivory. That's true. Val Venus That's- was going to have a figure, and then I think it got scrapped because. The gimmick was well and truly over by that point. Um, yeah. And there was never, and I don't think there was certainly never a Bull Buchanan or a Good Father or anything like that. Uh, but when the one thing I loved about No Mercy, um, did you do this as well when the No Mercy game came out um, with all the wrestlers on the game? You could change their outfits. So you could just make a right to censor. And mm-hmm. I would just, I, I would have angles where I would make, you know, uh, too cool join right the center and stuff like that did you like did you get involved with uh customizing things like that no, i'm not much of a i'm not I, i'm i'm big on role-playing type stuff and i like that about no mercy I, ww versus nwo is still one of the greatest video game the revenge one mm-hmm. is one of the best video games ever made golden eyes one of the best game based on sort of the same engine uh, I think it's the Aki engine, AKI, right? They, they That's the engine they used for like virtual wrestling 64, things like that. Um, I'm not much in the modding, but I like the the community. I love the community actually, because I'm a big fire pro wrestling fan. And what the community has done for that, yeah. for that game 
is truly amazing. So we have Retromania Wrestling, which I'm a part of, and we hope one day that that, that we can uh, institute community creations like that. So based on that, I was always amazed that the, the WCW versus NWO was the first game to truly put real entrance music in. And then when you won the match, it would constantly replay and do 15 different camera angles of the finish. It was, God, that was such a good game. It really was. That's the thing when I was kind of younger, because uh, I grew up on SNES and uh, Mega Drive and all those kind of games and the WWF games by LGN were not good. I mean, I enjoyed them at the time, but when you have nothing else to, and I didn't have Saturday Night Slam Masters or anything like that um, mm-hmm. for strict wrestling games, that I fell in love with games like Warzone and Attitude just because they looked so realistic. But when you look at the gameplay now, it's the shits uh, compared to... <laughs> Going at that, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I always wanted to talk to... Uh, just incredible because it was uh, PJ who did the motion motion capture for Warzone, I think, at the time with Tom Pritchard and maybe Matt and Jeff Hardy as well. Did he ever talk to you about that? No, no, I, I know that that was probably the crew that did it. And I did motion capture for some of the SmackDown versus Raws, uh, which is more extensive than probably what they did. I mean, we did a lot of different stuff for cutscenes and working and stuff like that. It was, it was really, uh, it's, it's a lot of work to do that. You know, that's why sometimes it repeats a lot because even with the repeating with the moves, you're still doing throughout the course of a week, maybe a thousand to two thousand different different motion captures. Hmm. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask about that in terms of not just the motion capture, but uh, the whole I don't know what you would call it, the scanning of your body. Same with the action figures as well. Was that always a, a long process? And when you had your figures made, were you asked to do, you know, the open mouth, the closed mouth, the yeah. mean, the mm-hmm. smiling and stuff? Because that yeah. that was one thing. They used that head <laughs> a lot of times. Um, I was hoping for a more BWO-centric uh, Stevie Richards head for the, the uh, ECW figure that came out. Uh, but they just added some beard yeah they added some beard and some hair and i think they they've they've since gotten better about those i did that i was one of the first ones to get the uh the 3d scan so instead of oh, taking the pictures yeah. i went into the mobile trailer not the i think they did my body on the last one but it no action figure came out with that but they did the the 360 scan on my on my head hair down hair back all that stuff yeah, and and you will have had it for the uh, the right sensor, Steve, because that was during the the really the start of that real scan. Uh, kind I'm trying of stuff to think well. of. I'm trying to think. They did some reference shots, but I'm not sure about the 3D scan. I just remember it was in Anaheim, California, which was close to their office. Obviously, they didn't need to travel that far with the trailer. It was Anaheim, California, and they had. I just remember being in there with Pete and looking at all the computers and the way it was set up and i was like this is super cool i probably probably another reason why i got the figures because i really like was a fan of watching what they were doing with it so even after my scan i stayed in there and hung out for a bit i'd rather be in there than the locker room most times so (laughs) well that's the thing with uh the shows like sunday night heat i remember they would do little uh features on how the action figures were made or how the video games were made, or behind the scenes for uh, Chef Boy or D commercial, or something like mm-hmm. that. And I remember them talk, doing it with the action figures. And for WrestleMania 2000, uh, when they did the whole full day festival kind of thing, they had the people from Jack's 
talking about how the figures are made as well. And I, I thought that was really cool. Um, didn't they, didn't they scan the fans too? Like you could buy access to that. I think really? they had that access where you could do something. You could pay money to have your own action figure. It'd be a lot of money, but I think they, they were offering that. Oh, wow. Cause it was in Anaheim as well. So it made perfect yes. sense that they would. That uh, might've been, that might've been the weekend it was done. Yeah. That they scanned us. I'm not sure. What was the reason why you weren't in something like the, the hardcore battle Royal on that show? Cause it seemed like everyone on the roster was there. I was there at WrestleMania. I didn't do anything. Um, but I wasn't really figured in. This was right before the right to censor. It's true, but the Hardcore Battle Royal is, I mean, it seemed like the kind of match. It wasn't, it. but the Hardcore Battle Royal wasn't what it, what it is today of just plugging in guys we're not doing anything with. Everybody had something to do with getting that title through the past few weeks or months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even no, that, that, that is Even true. something like that that was a novelty had more creative thought put into it than, like, literally on Monday as we're recording this, you had Jeff Hardy as one of the guys catching Reggie <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like i oh, we don't have anything for jeff hardy just throw him out there instead of protecting him saying all right we don't have a match for jeff hardy should we shoot something should we do a vignette or or have it figured out before you even get the tv and don't fly the poor guy in there was a lot more thought into that than than you know today's product and that's 20 years 21 years ago which isn't that long yeah i think jeff even trended just because people were so shocked that he was doing so little on that role and I think it was probably the first time people had seen him for a little while as well. But um, hey, if his body heals up, then that's a good thing. But at the same time, don't yeah. don't marginalize one of your top guys in the past 20 years by just having him catch a guy yeah. and not even saying his name. You'd have to look for him, right? Yeah, no, that's not good. Um, so I, one thing I loved about, because I was still buying the magazine uh, at this point, uh, I always make the... the uh, the point that I, I think I stopped buying the magazines once they stopped, started doing separate SmackDown magazines and there would be like a four page article on Mordecai or something. And I was like, I don't associate <laughs> myself with this anymore because I've spoken to Brian Solomon, who was one of the head writers mm-hmm. and he took over that SmackDown magazine. And he said it was such an uphill struggle to try and sell that to anyone um, splitting the roster in two and stuff like that. But you were writing an article, um, the getting heat, article which i very much enjoyed and you started that as stevie richards but then continued it as stephen richards and um were you just left to your own uh devices with that i was i was and you know obviously at that time too um probably didn't endear myself to a lot of people with writing (laughs) that but there's a part of me that always wanted to be uh one of those radio show hosts that discussed politics and other the hot button issues and things like that and wanted to be uh, an on-air personality. So even being a wrestler and just starting out with the company, I tried to expand and nobody wanted to do it. They wanted a wrestler to write an article. So I just kind of took it over and took it my own way with that. And uh, you're one of the few people to even remember me doing that. So uh, even I forgot, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it, it's good to be able to, you know, uh, Val Venus kind of does it now, but on a whole new level that I could never, I ever hope. But I always wanted to be that type of radio host personality that w- you would tune into Monday through Friday for three hours. I don't know if my voice could hold up at this point, but, <laughs> you know, be the be the voice that that talks about these kinds of things, you know. So 
that that was my goal back then. Today, I don't know if it, if it's even allowed anymore <laughs> to be talked about. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. I mean, one that really stuck out for me was the tribute that you made for Louis Spicoli. Um, yeah, it's so cool that they let you have that uh, freedom to do that as well because you could tell it was very heartfelt. Um, yeah, Louis was Louis a talent that was gone way too soon, and we we say that about a lot of talents in wrestling, especially there was and that was during the course of the time when God, it was like almost a, not to use the term lightly, but that was almost at, a, at an epidemic level at a pandemic type level of 65 wrestlers over the course of what, a couple of years or so. I mean, there was a lot. It felt like every week and Louie was in there and Louie was somebody that if his demons didn't take control of him to a certain extent would still be, if not like, you know, a creative mind in the business would still be somewhere near the top because yeah. he was just catching his stride in ECW at that time in the late nineties. And before they went out of business, Louis was doing great things. And it's just a shame that he didn't ever had the run he deserved to have. That's right. And what he was doing in WCW as well, which I don't think gets nearly enough uh, coverage was, was great too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I love that article. And then the thing is, I don't have too many magazines from that time period, but the ones with the uh, the getting heat, uh, which is probably aptly titled. Um, um, yeah, you know. it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I think so- I want to do the radio show. That's all I probably <laughs> would have gotten. Where the class of the past meets the greatness of the present. Nick Aldis and Chella Toys are back with figure collections. Wait a minute, that's us. Chella Toys and Figure Collections are offering this exclusive Nick Aldis Megastars of Wrestling Figure Limited with just 100 pieces. This is the first exclusive for Figure Collections and the first throwback style figure with a little bit of color, if you know what I mean. Buy the Nick Aldis Limited to 100 pieces today at shop.figurecollections.com. You can also pre-order the rest of the Chella Toys Wrestling Megastars line at shop.figurecollections.com. One of my favorite figures of yours is the uh, the TNA double pack with uh, Daphne. Well, so what was it like working with Daphne? And would you, where would you rank that double pack in your sort of action figures? Because for me, that's your best head. Like I think technology definitely well, improved. TNA finally one. did something, right, I guess. Right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it it it, it play, It's like raving to myself, and it came full circle. And and TNA as well, and Daphne being added to that. When you have personalities, and then obviously, if you add a female who has a unique personality to the group, it yeah. just enhances the entire thing. And it, the three of us were kind of doing our own thing to some degree, but not quite having a fit. And then when the three of us came together. It was myself and her. And then with Raven, it was like an endorsement that this is a this is a solid group. And we didn't really scratch the surface on what could be done uh with that stable, with that group. And you know, but the people at the action, I don't know if it's still Jax or who the company was, but they saw enough in that gimmick and in that group, especially myself and her, to make the two-pack. And I just talked about it a few minutes ago. To make a two-pack is doubling your expenses, doubling your resources, and you can't charge double on the action figure. So you have to hope for a volume type of success. Mm-hmm. So, and for TNA, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of money or promotion, or maybe the agreement wasn't a whole lot of money and resources 
to make a two pack. So it takes a, you know, you only have a certain amount of spots open, right. To make these. Mm-hmm. And um, she deserves to have an action figure. She deserves to be in a video game. And she was a character that deserved to have also her time in the sun, which I don't think they quite put her in the spot that could have done the gimmick and the character justice. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, the uh, It was Jack's making those figures as well by that point, which is... Oh, so great. Pete might have still been responsible <laughs> for that but it's great. It's great, though, because they fit in with all of the WWE names as well. So <laughs> you, you could technically have uh, Daphne against Luna Vachon and... Uh, you know, and I know Luna, and this is a question from Mark as well. Uh, we're both such huge fans of Luna for sure. I have a Luna promo just opposite one of her WCW promos, which she signed. And uh, what was it like working with her? Because you worked with her in ECW in what, 95? Oh, you were really the first people uh, outside of, I guess, the Memphis area to really feature intergender matches. Yeah. We had a lot of matches, and it was like, I was like, who's the dominant one? Because usually isn't the guy like the, <laughs> isn't the guy supposed to get sympathy on the girl? And uh, she'd beat the shit out of me. She was really tough, but also very, very caring and respected by knowledge, even though she was born into this business. She respected what knowledge or creative ideas that I brought to the matches because she knew what I did or what I pitched was to get her over. So I was never any heat or any, I never felt like, all right, this is a value. Some people, you know, and as a veteran, I never try to be like this. Um, veterans can be very closed-minded or very just putting up walls when a young person wants to come up and and kind of be excited about what the pitch. Mm-hmm. The young talent is supposed to be excited and supposed to try to take it to a, an unrealistic place. And you as the veteran are supposed to bring them back somewhere in the middle, but the idea itself is not a bad idea. Luna always respected my ideas and i respected her for trusting me with her body in the ring male or female it's a big deal but for a female to get in the ring as tough as she was there's still a little bit of trepidation like hey is this this guy going to take care of me is he a good worker and we had great chemistry you know in the ring and it was a great storyline once again we talk about raven talk about dreamer uh you bring in gangrel yeah who is a machine even to today he still works outworks mostly everybody in the ring uh and there's just formulas for people there's a there's a, an amazing thing that like when these people like like gangrel luna raven myself uh anybody leaves uh, shane douglas i could the list goes on and on taz they leave ecw and they think the fans the casual fans aren't smart enough that you know and shouldn't be you watch the show for what it is they don't realize that like it's not the talent's fault. The talent is still the same talent, if not better, as they get more experience. And then they go to WWE and they think the talent just can't hang in the bright lights or can't live up to the light. No, you're just, the creative people are not doing justice to the strengths and the weaknesses of the talent. Yeah. Oh, uh, Taz, I mean, should, Taz, should have been, Taz should have been one of the biggest stars in WWE history. I agree. Yeah, I don't it, believe that they had a, at the garden, no less. I don't believe there's been a person that has gotten the reaction that Taz got when he debuted against Kurt Angle. There's not a guy with the leg, the legitimacy that Paul built for Taz and Taz carried on his shoulders was completely destroyed by the politics of WWE. Taz should be, you know, somebody we speak of in the same vein as 
Rocky and Austin and all those other guys, in my opinion. I, I agree. We just uh, did, did a watch along of Royal Rumble 2000, and I don't think anyone has ever debuted so highly. And then that was like the peak of their WWF run, um, you know, when it should have gone higher, but it never seemed to reach that height ever again to that, you know, uh, that in, that single introduction that he had. Uh, but I mean, that's a, we could do a whole show on uh, names who aren't, you know, able to reach their potential because of boundaries and everything else. Uh, but that again, that's a whole, a whole complete other show. Um, mm. So the, the, the main question that everyone wants to hear is what is the most uncomfortable ring gear that you've ever uh, worn? And why was it the China uh, Fong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you already knew the answer. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I would like to say this. If I ever sat down with Vince, uh, I would like to ask him, and it might happen. Who knows? There's a little Easter egg for everybody. Um, why did you like repeatedly want to see me dressed as a woman? <laughs> like, what is your what is your fetish, and why did you not pay me more for it? Passable, pass, passable lady. You've got the the lovely eyes and. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> the eyes are still here. Even I don't need to wear a dress for you to look into my blue eyes. Vince. But uh, yeah, that's, that was pretty uncomfortable, but also it's just, it's what it was. I mean, these are things too. Like I thank God that like I've done so many things and agreed to so many things, especially in WWE that would have killed anybody else's career. Yeah. It can now it doesn't, now it doesn't really matter, but back then it really did matter to some extent that if you were told to do the things I was going to do, it was literally like after the China thing, after the mystery woman deal, all that stuff, I was just like, the call's going to happen. They're going to fire me because that's the last image that people are going to, and I don't know why they didn't probably because I did my best to make sure everybody looked good when I worked them. And that was my oh, saving grace. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing as well. I guess, is it a good thing to become really dependable? Or does that mean that there's a glass ceiling on you? It's twofold. Opposing kind of double-edged sword. JR had paid me a great compliment. He, you know, somebody, he always, when my, when my name's brought up on his podcast, my friend Ben, who I do the locker room and the Raw Smackdown review, he sends me stuff because I don't, I don't, I don't seek that kind of stuff out, but it's nice when I hear it from somebody like JR that, you know, man, that, that guy, he was, you know, a pleasure to work with. He was professional and reliable. I, I've had it. I've had people, I've never had people say I'm a hell of a hand because that's kind of the curse in wrestling. Oh, you're a hell of a hand means you're putting everybody over, which is exactly what I was. Mm -hmm. But when he says professional, reliable, showed up in shape, we, you know, give him something. He always make the most out of it. Those are the kinds of things. Now, now I'll, I'll kind of unpack what I just said. Professional and reliable means I will come do my job. I'll put somebody over. I'll make them look good, blah, 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 whatever. You know what I mean? You kind of like in my mind doing the bare minimum yeah. to be that guy. Like I'm satisfied with being that guy, but making the most out of what we give them is like, whenever you do give me something, I'm going to put over somebody. I'm going to make them look good, but I'm going to try to get over too. Even if it's just this much, I'm going to try to make something memorable. You put me on a secondary show like he I'm going to make it my show. I'm going to say, I, I bought this show. I want to be here rather than, hey, he has great matches, but he knows he's just being relegated to heat. 
I think JR knew I always had that in me that, that, uh, you know, I need to make it the most out of this because they're not giving me anything. My career, I'd almost rather have it that way because what wrestling did was it set me up to, here's my turn for a segue. I, um, if I, everything in wrestling came easy to me, if I wasn't injured all the time and didn't have to work around injuries and didn't have to be creative and didn't have to rely, if I had people doing everything for me in the machine, I would have never had the discipline, the willpower, or the work ethic to create Stevie Richards Fitness, to go out there and partner with certain fitness companies, to build home gyms, to help people. I wouldn't have that because I would just, oh, I'm going to hire an assistant to answer emails. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hire a, poly, uh, a graphic designer to make the PDFs. I'm going to, I'm going to hire a video editor. I'm not going to learn how to do it myself. I literally became a one-man show based on the, the work ethic that, that the challenges that wrestling put before me, because it wasn't, there was never an option to rely on the booker to take care of me or this person in the office to do this and that. You know, only the, only the rare shock of Pete from Jack's making my action figures that I would say, Oh my God, somebody's like on my side. Yeah. This is pretty cool. But it really did set me up for an immense amount of discipline, work ethic, willpower, and tenacity that I really do find a great deal of gratitude for the business for a lot of guys seem bitter and they, the business owes them something. Uh, the business gave me a lot and it continues to teach me these lessons to today. So was there a, um, a point where you decided to not wrestle anymore and go into this full time and did the pandemic kind of make your decision for you? Or? Well, I, <laughs> I got into the fitness business trying to be a personal trainer when I was still on TV. This is how weird the world works. I was on TV with TNA off a WWE run, personal training people in person in a, in a gym in Tampa that my friend owned. And I'm not saying I was still, I enjoyed it. I loved being in the gym. I was in really good shape. I couldn't get any clients. Being a TV wrestler on TV and having that exposure and being in the best shape of my life. Mm -hmm. But what I found out years and years later, that I probably was too intimidating for a beginner. Lesson kind of learned. My wife actually pointed that out to me. You know, you probably intimidated people and didn't real. They don't see what you see, like that I'm just a goof. You know, they <laughs> see like, well, that guy's really mean or whatever. I, I, my most success in the fitness business with the programs and the home gym stuff was the further I got removed from wrestling because it's not a wrestling approach. It's a guy who's almost 50 with a lot of injuries who, who, who worked through those with resistance bands and also worked out at home and is just somebody, a regular dude that just wants to help people. And it literally took almost 20 years to get to that. So I didn't know the answer until literally now speaking to you, like, wow, I, I kind of get it now, but the pandemic, you know, I didn't want uh, my business to be successful because of this reason. Yeah. But a lot of people have said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wait for the gyms to close down again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell, wait for somebody to tell me how I can be healthy. I can't leave my house anyway. So I might as well work out at home. All these things have made the band programs and especially the home gym equipment uh, business models flourish. 
So yeah, I mean, that's, it's been great, but dude, it started with me in 2002, 2003, trying to figure out what was next for me after wrestling. So this is like 17, 18 years of just 19 years of just trying to figure out what the next chapter is. And you really didn't know what that could have been at that point. It could have been training up, like up and coming wrestlers or it could have been promoting or uh, it could have been creative. No, no, or... no, 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 not those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will, I, will, I will help wrestlers out, but um, I'm a morning person. So wrestling schools start training at eight o'clock at night. I'm already getting ready for bed. <laughs> and also um, I would, if I had run a wrestling school, I would be very unsuccessful because I would tell the truth and I would tell the truth about what was expected. And I, I mean, it's based on what the whole business and entertainment is based on weaponized hope. It's what you choose to do with the weaponized hope. Do you, do you want to do you want to make the hope of reality? You willing to work as hard as possible for what they're promising you. Or are you going to sit back and wait to see if they do it for you? Mm. I never yeah. had that option. I mean, like I said, even as somebody like, you know, and like, I know talking about action figures, but it, but really this attitude and this attitude of gratitude see that rhymes is all based on cello toys is making me an action figure. And I realized to work you and the team and everybody have to put into it. I know it doesn't magically just appear one day. It's like, these dudes are working hard. It's my responsibility to be on this podcast and help promote and get some awareness so these guys can make their money back. That's and, a, that 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 doesn't exist a whole lot today. Yeah, and and does it kind of blow your mind that all these years later that a, a BWO figure is still being made? And yeah, um, at what point do you realize, without just patting yourself on the back, that you had an impact in wrestling? Um. Well, I will say this. I never look back. It's a dangerous thing to constantly look back in the past and rely on the past because you can very easily be that, oh, I got state championship in high school when I played football or our American football, not European. But no, I, I'm reminded by other people like you and other people and even my wife sometimes when we're out and people approach me and ask me for a picture or an autograph or talk about my career a little bit. Um you know, it, it takes me back like, oh yeah, that was, that was really cool. When, when I really do, when I really do like get kind of emotional about it and feel like really full in my heart is when a young wrestler that I get to actually be in the ring with mm -hmm. says, Hey, why, why I'm like Anthony green. Remember him? He's August, August, August gray or whatever in NXT. Yeah. We worked, uh, we worked just before the pandemic, I think, up in Rhode Island, and he didn't tell me, but he was a very nice kid. He didn't tell me, but, you know, we're talking. We did our match. We came back, and he took his phone out, and he said, I want to show you something, and I'm, I might cry when we're talking about it because he goes, I want to show you something, and he showed me a picture, and it was me and him in, like, 2002 WWE. My hair was just growing out. And he goes, I met you that day and you were so cool to me. And I walked away and said, I want to be a pro wrestler. And we wow. took a picture that night and he, he, he side by side, I'll probably put it up on Instagram. He did a collage of that picture and then our picture present day. And I'm like, that is the, that is probably the coolest feeling uh, that you could have.
you know, has to know that you fostered the next generation and had a positive impact at a point where somebody decided to take a path in their life because of you. That's, I mean, that's pretty cool. That is wonderful. And, and looking at uh, Stevie Richards, fitness.com as well. I'm just blown away by the testimonials and the, the photographs of the, I don't want to say before and after, but sort of the progress um, Mm -hmm. that everyone's making as well. And it's just the results kind of um, speak for themselves. And one thing that, you know, because there's a a video from you on, um, on, you know, just chatting about Stevie Richards fitness and you talk about it being affordable as well. It's so affordable for what you offer. It's incredible. Um, So that was always the, you, you wanted to make it inclusive for, everyone and i'm guessing you've had a whole range of uh participants and clients yeah it's been it's been great and it's about it's about those people a lot of fitness brands make it about the the guy or the guru or these people that we talk we talked off air about nutrition and stuff. these these people misrepresent or mislead people uh to think that it doesn't require hard work it doesn't require consistency uh, and those are the two things it requires more than anything. You don't have to be a, uh, an expert at, at, at bodybuilding or any of these other things. You just have to keep showing up, keep doing your best. And the programs are scaled to what do what I needed to do through injuries modify. Yeah, there's people like like for example with the 12 week, which we I recommended to you. It's like the basic three sets and then the, the set reps. There's people that said I, I'm really that's even too much for me, and I said. Okay, start out with one set of that and triple the time of the each phase. So essentially 12 weeks turns into 36. So now it's an even bigger value. And I tell people too, you can go through each you can go through two or three rounds at a 12 week, the 16 week, you choose your rep range. So you can legitimately get a year out of the 16 week. And I did price it to sell it at volume. As a business owner, I was like, okay, if I if I price it at this. I'll sell more and more people will be interested. Mm. Um, has that worked out? I'm not so sure because people, when they see 15 and 25 American dollars for a program with lifetime access. So if you lose it two years from now and you tell me, Hey, I lost my download link. I got a new computer. I resend it to you. So it's one-time fee. There's yeah. no like rebuying it, but people think because it's priced like that, that affordable means it's not good. And that's the one, that's the biggest hurdle for me because it's not a $97, $127 like other people charge. They figure that it's, that it's no good. And what I did was I know what it's like to not have money. Yeah. I know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to not have a home, but I also want to still keep myself in shape. And I know that 15 to $25 could make the difference between someone eating and not eating in a week difference between $25 and $97 is the difference between someone uh, paying and not paying their electric bill. So I'm very, very aware of that. And that's why I priced it. And I don't, I have no plans on raising the prices anytime soon. And and the thing is as well, it's, it's value for money in various ways because you are along with everyone for the ride as well. And that you are open to be uh, uh, for contact, for advice, for those who are, you know, on the, on the programs. Um, and you, you do offer advice and like, and as well with your YouTube channel, which is just rammed with content and it's all amazing stuff. You know, you're reviewing, 
uh, fitness equipment. Uh, you're you're giving tips. You're showing the advantage. You're doing it yourself and showing the advantages of doing. You know, by watching you do it, and uh, and as well, I love that there's just an insight into your life as well because you know the, the one of the videos that really took me um, off guard was the uh, you just bought a keyboard. And as a musician, I really appreciated that. And we did talk about that uh, just before as well. So how, how are you getting on uh, for the listeners? Uh, are you Mozart yet? Or? Well, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> getting on with the keyboard. And that's another thing about the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, I leave, I could edit out a lot of stuff from the workouts and the other things in the test, but I show the mistakes I make. Now in the program, obviously I'm not going to, they're not full of <laughs> mistakes. I no. obviously have done the proper, but on the YouTube channel, I show a lot of my flaws and, and if, for this podcast, I told you, you know, I have fallen off with the keyboard thing and I need to be more or the piano, uh, you know, lessons. I want to be more structured. And I told you I'm legitimately creating a, a curriculum, an online class schedule for myself with video editing, audio uh, processing, all the different skills that I need to improve on. We all get in our little comfort zones yeah. and we just let the day get ahead, get away from us. Uh, but I plan on doing that. And it's kind of inspired me, you know, when you mentioned the keyboard, because I forgot about it because it's not right here in front of me, but it truly like the keyboard and music and all that stuff, which is the universal language, you know, it's based on math too, right? So it's it's all a universal language and it's hard and it's not easy. And that's why I picked the keyboard because they said, that's the hardest instrument to learn. I said, yeah, but I heard when you learn the keyboard, you can play other, other instruments based on that. Mm -hmm. So why would I learn this only to have to come back? Why don't I just get this? And plus piano is just such a beautiful instrument. And I'm a big fan of slow songs and classical music. And it's just, it's a beautiful instrument to be able to master. So I'm yeah. jealous that you have that skill, but I, I'll, I'll try to catch up. <laughs> I say I'm, I'm not, but the thing is a lot of my uh, songwriting skills as a keyboardist come from more programming than um, just sitting there and, you know, doing everything. Oh, so you write, you write songs, which is even more, you have even more talent and that's the moneymaker when you can write a good song. Well, um, <laughs> still not there yet. I mean, I've, I've, oh, no, this isn't about me. I'm not going to. No, no, on. I want to know because this is, this is something people should know that we, we all have our struggles with what we're doing. Nobody's ever there, by the way, I'm not there. I don't have it all figured out. Nobody's ever there. When people realize that the, your journey is only going to end when your life is over mm. and you enjoy it a little bit more, right? You'll never get to where you want to be. So go ahead. I want, I want to hear this. Well, I played guitar forever and I was starting to write songs and, and this is almost embarrassing to say now, but it was things like Tenacious D that uh, got me into songwriting because it was, they were easy songs, but they had melodic hooks and mm -hmm. there were songs that you could play at parties and stuff like that. So foolishly I was, uh, doing my media degree because I wanted to get into radio, which is why I love doing podcasts now because I don't know enough about enough subjects to talk about them at length entertainingly, but I can talk about wrestling <laughs> like at length um, and hopefully be slightly entertaining. Um, so I made a musical and I was like, right, I'm going to write some songs. And that was my first foray into songwriting. But uh, since then I discovered a few bands that completely changed my life. And I, because of that, I started to look into production more and uh, songwriting. And then I got my degree in production and music business. And now I'm a teacher. So it really did change 
finding these few bands and working with them as well and having a, a few records which barely passed the line on Kickstarter, but they did, just barely. It led my life into this actually quite fulfilling area uh, now. And, you know, balancing that with being a full-time carer and everything, you do kind of forget to do the fun things sometimes, like write, sitting and writing songs, um, you know, which I know I can do, but uh, it is trying to find that balance. And, I, and And I'll be honest, over the pandemic, I didn't use my time wisely enough. Uh, but you, it's one of those things where you literally can't leave the house and you get into funks and, you know, it, the snowball effect and everything. And um, except going out for walks and stuff like that, I didn't exercise nearly enough. And I exercised just as much for that, if not more for that than for for my body. Yeah. Um, but I, I could... I could do with losing the weight. I feel like we're becoming fast friends here. So I'm here to help you with your fitness stuff and you keep me online with my musical journey. How's that for a deal? Nice. I'm going to send you some of my songs as well. See what you think. I love that. I'd love to listen to them. Uh, one thing I want to say, just because it's on my mind and in my heart right now, you can definitely, if you haven't already, if you have sent it to me, uh, create a YouTube channel on instruction and talking about these things and even offering inspiration to other people that may want to actually get into what you're currently into. Talking about music, business, production, other things. Dude, I will, I've seen so many videos because you see, I have this microphone. I've been, I've been looking for microphones for different applications and things like that. Those types of videos on audio, music, and also how to edit, produce, process, all that stuff are some of the most popular um, categories on YouTube. Mm. And then you put your song in there. I mean, that's that's great stuff. I mean, I, if you haven't done it, dude, that's one thing I really would encourage you to start your YouTube channel. Everybody's a beginner when they haven't done it yet. It's it's the weirdest, <laughs> it's the weirdest mental uh, mind f that you can think of. Of course, you're not good. Of course, you're not experienced. You haven't done it, and that's why I meant like if if we could all just sit back and enjoy the journey and realize that you know, I, I mean, I wasn't a great. I mean, I would consider myself a great wrestler now or an entertainer or whatever, but I was never. I never had the talent in me. I wasn't, the talent never came easy for me, but I had to learn things like I'm not physically gifted. So I had to use my mind to use psychology and wrestling. I know I couldn't last physically. So I had to limit physically by adding psychology out of necessity. So it, it's just the things, the tools we work with, and then the weaknesses we have, we can turn them into strengths by trying to figure out how we can plug it in. I plug, I, like I said, I put the mistakes in my workout videos or if something's too heavy, or if I was like, man, the form sucked on that set, people are like, wow, that's cool. Like he didn't have to, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Mm -hmm. That's and, also and a very endearing thing as a business owner. Mark has written novels for these questions. So <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll try to remember them. Um, <laughs> and it's because he's so into what you do. Uh, he says he, he knows that you had a handful of matches for Eastern Championship Wrestling '92, including with Jimmy Janetti, who uh, you trained with at the at Mike Sharp's school. Uh, but you seem to have a gap from ECW until '94. Uh, that returning match uh, to ECW was a tag team match with Hack Myers against Terry and Dory Funk at Philly Show. Um, and basically, what what are your memories with working with Terry and Dory together? Okay, so um, 
I didn't train at Mike Sharps. That was just a place where I went to do exhibitions every other week. I trained at the Tri-State Wrestling. Jimmy Gennetti was one of the instructors. One of my trainers was the Sandman, believe it or not. J.T. <laughs> Smith. Larry, yeah. The okay. Sandman could wrestle one time. Yes. J.T. Smith, Larry Winters, D.C. Drake, and then whoever they booked to come in, uh, they would they would get in there and we would mess around. Uh, but uh, I had the first match of Eastern Championship Wrestling uh, history before Extreme. It was Eastern. February 25th, 1992, but in November 10th, 1991, I had my real first match as the boy in the hood against Crybaby Waldo, who passed away recently, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Then I worked Mike Sharps as I was, because I, I, I went to Eastern Championship Wrestling, I had the match with Gennetti, and then I think I had one more match. And then I said, I look terrible. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to go away because they announced they were going to have TV. And I, I, I was embarrassed of my body and I was still young. So I didn't have anything figured out. So I went away. I worked in these, or I actually just begged to work for free everywhere. Mike Sharp let me work for free every other week. That's where I met Nova. That's where I met uh, Ace Darling, Mike Tarras. Uh, there was a bunch of guys there that were, um, you know, part of, I mean, you meet Nova and then years later, Nova's in the BWO. Yeah. Um, what was that? And then in 94, I came back bag in hand but i had come back earlier than that just to show up to get choke slam by 911 just to get like whatever they would give me the match with terry and dory i remember because they kept giving me a headlock and they pinned me with a headlock <laughs> and it was a real shoot headlock by the way like they were ratcheting up my neck it was it was pretty sore after that and then um paul kind of saw something in me and just put me out there as kind of like the annoying kind of like heel tag partner for hack for JT and then other things happened. And then Raven came in in 94 and my entire life changed. Yeah. How, how much time did you put into your hair? None. You know, I just, that's the way it was. I just, you, I, blow, I, blow. I had no idea what that dude. I had no idea. I still have no idea what coal is or anything. But <laughs> I had no idea what coal is. You it know, looks like you I, went to a salon or something. And had I did. I just used wow. a, five at the time maybe a three dollar hair dryer from uh whatever local pharmacy <laughs> there wasn't walmart back there we had kmart back then yes um well this kind of uh covers this as well during your two-year gap uh which independence were you performing at and any particular matches that stand out for you during that time as it's not heavily documented which nothing it was mike sharps every other week and then going to the school and it was about an hour and a half away and also at the same time, trying to make money with a regular job, trying to figure out, knowing that like, I like, I don't look like a wrestler and I'm not really all that good, but there's still just a little glimmer of something there. So maybe I got something, I, I mean, but really no, no paid work at all. I didn't make any money until 94. I didn't make a dime. Wow. And people get mad at me. They're like, how could you, you're part of the problem working for free for three years. And I was like, I didn't deserve to get paid. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't good. Did you get your cleanliness uh, tips from Mike Sharp? I would say yes. I'll, 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 I'll take that back. I worked uh, for WWWA and I got paid a little bit here and there. So maybe 25 bucks or so I didn't hey. go completely free, but I sure as hell, like the thing about being there, and there was a locker room, there was a locker room full of guys that were, and once again, 
if I had been treated as an independent wrestling star and I thought I was more over than I really was, yeah, I would have such a, a hard, so much harder of a time when I did get to other places because I would think I, I wouldn't think I would have to pay my dues and prove myself in different companies all over again. Yeah. And in, in that, in that locker room, there was a lot of people that considered themselves to be huge stars, even though they only worked once every three weeks. So when I saw the opportunity, when guys would come in that were names, I would ask like for advice, information, and try to pick their brain, Jason and angel, they were together. Jason and angel were in ECW. Yeah. And he saw the way that the guys who were the, the superstars in the locker room and the promoter, were treating me and he saw how humble I was and how I just wanted to learn. He, he's the one to put the, the word in with Paul in ECW. Uh, so if you're in a position where you're, you're the, the odd man out and everyone's acting like kind of like they, they think whatever doesn't stink. Somebody's watching and, and thank God, Jason, I, you know, talked to him and he was, you know, asking him for advice in ECW and he was the one that said, just show up, be prepared to get choke slammed by nine one one. Do whatever you're told, and he goes, "I'll tell Paul that you're you seem like a really good guy." That's what got me started. So I have to thank Jason too. That's very cool. Um, now this is a very bespoke question, which you may never have been asked before. Um, I own what I thoroughly believe is a legit original '90s ECW BWO shirt. However, this sounds like customer services now. Uh, however, rather than saying "Big Stevie Cool" on the back, it says "Big Steve Cool." Are you aware of the error? Was it a printing mistake uh, on a batch of your original shirts? Do I own the rarest and best wrestling shirt ever made, uh, or do I own a cheap, nasty, fake Big Stevie Cool shirt? I think it's the latter. <laughs> I don't think we ever. Now, now I will say this: if he had said. It says big Steve. It says what it says on the back correctly, but it's a lighter blue. That was the original one. Okay. The original one Jeff Jones came out with in his printing shop. The original first batch were a. This is the blue. I think this is the blue we have now. The right. baby blue. It was more of a baby blue, and I didn't like that. I wanted the royal blue that you see today, like that. I think that's the color. It was a royal blue. Um, Big Steve Cool, I think, is an eBay knockoff like <laughs> joke. Like bought Simpson and yeah, stuff. Thanks like for, yeah, thanks for thanks for thanks for watching the show. Big Steve Cool. <laughs> what was I gonna um, say about that? Um I forget what I was gonna say. There was something about that shirt or oh, speaking of customer service, a little Easter egg too, is if you ever called the ECW ticket hotline and talked to Lloyd Van Buren, that was me. Because <laughs> I worked in the ticket office with Gabe Sapolsky above. Carver W. Reed in Philadelphia. With the most uh, unrecognizable voice ever, I guess. Yo, yo, no, no, yo. I did have I did have a different voice back then. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Before okay. my throat and vocal cord surgery. So I did have a regular voice. Uh-huh. Today, but, I don't think I would get away with it. Uh, you worked alongside uh, Taka Mishinoku and Funaki on uh, Jacked in early 2000. I'm sure you remember that one specific match on Jacked. Um, both of you were part of... Uh, uh, both of who were a part of BWO Japan. Now, three years prior to this, Taka teamed with Dick Togo and Terry Boy as the BWO while you featured in a freeway for the title at Barely Legal. Can you walk uh, walk us through how BWO Japan came to ECW and what connection or friendship you had with these guys in ECW, given your new BWO brotherhood and the language barrier? 
Well, I, I mean, they were friendly enough guys and they're nice guys. So, you know, I mean, as far as friendship, how much can you really communicate with somebody that, that can't speak the language and you can't speak their language, but the BWO, they, they knew what the BWO was and it was cool. And we were very grateful that we were getting, I mean, there was times where new Jack would put the shirt on, on shows. I mean, getting <laughs> that endorsement from the entire roster that these, these guys are for real. Mm-hmm. You know, having Sandman endorse us, other people, Tommy, uh, having Raven against it made us more popular baby faces. Uh, but the the Japanese, having a BWO Japan made us pipe because I think we were actually about to go to Japan for a few days. So it was a good, it was a good, um, you know, kind of crossover thing. We were doing good business in Japan up until that point, whether we went or not. So having those three guys, which they were a very popular six-man tag and taka i think taka on his own was doing really good stuff um yeah. you know it was cool i now i worked taka on i worked taka on uh metal a couple times and i tug up with se rios against kai and tai i think right on see that's metal the thing I, w- I was just being like you know i thought you may not remember individual matches on metal i remember stuff, yeah i remember wrestling taka one of the first matches i was there in the company and I was a, I was a, I was a little bigger and heavier, so to be able to go in a cruiserweight style match and it's still on YouTube, I think mm-hmm. I was very very proud of that. I remember he did so many flips, landed on his feet. I caught him with the kick out of nowhere, and I knew I had to change my. I had the half shirt and Daisy Duke still. It just wasn't playing in WWE TV. I could tell the guys were like, "What in the world?" You know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it was an adjustment period, you know. But I had to go with what I had at the time. Now I remember. I, the CT kicks in sometimes, but (laughs) but I do, I do have, I, even though I don't look at those and and dwell on those, Uh there's sometimes if I'm doing cardio, I'll watch a match that I know where I was like, you know, getting my cardio up and I kind of simulate that a hit style thing. I like doing that kind of stuff. And also just to know that like guys like Taka Michinoko, who didn't have to put me over on, on WWE, this newcomer did and anybody else throughout my career from, from 91 until today that voluntarily lays down and puts me over or offers up a submission is an incredible gesture. And I don't take that lightly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, some of those early Stevie Richards appearances in WWE, it was kind of weird because I'm such a big fan of the brood and you dressed up as Christian mm-hmm. for on SmackDown. Well, it was on SmackDown. So the thing, yeah. I remember you coming out on a, was was it not a raw then when you came out and there was a big I came out but i brawl at the end did. i helped them against somebody i kicked somebody i kicked gangrel in the back of the head uh-huh. on smackdown and and helped them pin so if i appeared on raw out of nowhere and then the next night on smackdown or whatever the taping was i i ended up helping them in a tag match because uh, that's the thing, the raw appearance had no context as to why you were dressed. My as... career had no context <laughs> at one point. Just throw them out there. But that's what I did. They did. They said throw them out there, and I tried to get over with it, yeah. you know? It, one of the one of my favorites was when you came out dressed as Val Venus and you forgot your underwear under the towel. That was that was done live. <laughs> I did that without anybody knowing. Really? I mean, that's... I had underwear on, but no, yeah. I just went out there and I was like. <laughs> it's, it's kind of stupid i was like and, and he, he did that thing and i just said i had no underwear and i ran back it was on the fly mm-hmm. 
Was that was there any kind of um when Big Show started doing the parodies? Because you were still you weren't right to censor at that point, but it seemed like you just weren't around too much. Um but did it feel that he was taking your gimmick or I could say the same thing about the super kick. Okay. You can do a hundred super kicks on a show, but I know I know where to put it, when to put it, and and, and to make it make sense. And I call it TV kick. So Big Show could do that. I mean, I, when he did that, all I saw was an opportunity to maybe do it with him. I don't look at it like, oh, God. You're like, don't take him off TV. He's a, he, You pay him a million dollars a year. Let me tag along and do it with him. <laughs> but I think the, also with that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it's kind of like in, if you're, let me put it this way, you, you probably felt this way with, with music. When, when the passion or when your creative kind of excitement about doing it is left, it never comes back. Mm-hmm. Like it's been there, done that type stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could go back to the parodies, but is it really a step back? Because I had this right to center character, which was a parody, but man, I got a ton of heat. And then I grew into this and then I evolved into this. Do I really want to take all those steps back to that? Unless it's strictly that nostalgia where I lose a match and I have to dress up at the right, as a right to censor that night, you know, like, I don't <laughs> want to do it, but I have to, and say the line, say the line. It's like, it's for your own good. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, he said the line. Um, okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a part of uh, the official cello toys podcast, Stevie Richards, fitness.com. Uh, Everyone should check it out. Um, and also your YouTube channel. What is the name of your YouTube channel? Is it- if you just search for Stevie Richards, I think the, the URL is Stevie Richards, you know, youtube.com forward slash Stevie Richards videos, but just search Stevie Richards. You'll see my cool ava- cartoon avatar. Hopefully you think it's cool. Uh, but also if you could, so what supports the content outside of buying the band programs is every video in the description has the affiliate links and codes for the home gym equipment, for Amazon, for B&H photo. So if you need like fitness stuff, or even if you want to buy some tech stuff or bookmark that Amazon link for anything, uh, it helps. It goes right back into investing in the company. Uh, that's great. And you are uh, currently, pod- you're a man of many talents. Uh, you wear many hats. Uh, so your podcast as well, uh, where can people find it? Well, you can either go to, uh, I, I think they're changing the URL, but if you look up uh, russosbrand.com, uh, you can check it out. Uh, it's behind a paywall. It's premium subscribers. But besides Raw Smackdown Review and Master Shoot Theater, which is what I'm on, you get like 12 or 13 other shows, uh, you know, every week. So you get a ton of shows. Also, I'm in the Friday locker room with Ben Hameen, which is also on Russo's brand as well. Um, my voice, because of my implants and surgeries, I try to limit my podcast. So I would thought about doing my own weekly myself or that radio show three hours a day Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't think i'm up to the task so i know my limitations that's (laughs) about it for podcasting stevie thank you very much and everyone should check out uh your official cello toys action figure on you be able to find it on instagram on the cello website uh buy it buy 10 buy 100 of them and exactly follow me and follow me at stevie richards i'll be sharing the, the stuff from the action figure as well Excellent. And uh, hopefully there'll be little um, friends for him to play with very soon as well. Um, nice. I, 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 there's no way I could have said that without it sounding a little creepy and weird. Um, I think uh, I think they know which two people you're talking about. Yeah, we, we are definitely talking about uh, the flying nuns when the headbangers dress as nuns for, for that couple of weeks. Um, oh, God. <laughs> we don't want to end it on that one.
So, anyway. No, you know what? We're going to end on that one. That's how I'm going to decide. This okay. is the thing. I don't play by podcast rules, you see. I'm the rebel of the podcast world. You want to end on the low note, huh? <laughs> Could have ended Just say that thank there. you and have a good night. How's that? <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs>